Hey everybody, I'm Jason Tondro and I'm your Game Master tonight. I'm Ron and I'm playing Scooch, the Yosoki Operative. I'm Stephanie and I am playing Holo. She is a Karasha Lashunta Mercenary Solarian. Hi, I'm John and I'm playing a Tiefling Operative named Murdox. I'm Scott and I'm playing Raz, Skittermander Envoy. I'm Rob and I'm playing Whiskey, a Yosoki Mystic. And I'm Mark. I'm playing Julakashti, a Vesk soldier. So I am the sort of substitute GM here. I'm the new guy. Uh, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, we've been playing the Dawn of Flame adventure path. Uh, and we've hit volume six, uh, Assault on the Crucible. And I wrote it. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, John came into the office and asked, uh, we were doing an interview for Starfinder, and, uh, and he mentioned that uh, Ron, whom you also just heard a few minutes ago, um, was going to run Volume 4 of this adventure path, um, which he wrote. And I said, well, of course, I couldn't let myself be one up to buy Ron, of all people. <laughs> so I said, well, when you get to Volume 6, let me know, and I'll be, I, I'd be glad to run it for you. And I could say, John jumped on it like it was like, like, a, like, <laughs> like, like, a, like a lizard on a hot plate. And he, he was like, are you sure? Are you sure? I, I knew nobody. I had just moved to Seattle. I had no friends. I, I said, of course. Of course I'll do it. Like, I get a chance to game with new people. Like, I'm, I'm desperate to talk to anybody at night besides my dogs. So, um, so I said yes. And so then, of course, many years passed. Like, you, 70 episodes for you guys have passed. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the quarantine was starting to end. And John reached out to me and said, well, we're about to hit volume six. Are you still game? And I'm like, well, now I'm now I gotta do it, right? Like my situation has changed, but I gotta come through. I gotta be good on my commitments. So, so here we are. We're gonna do assault on the crucible, and I guarantee you, uh, I'm gonna change it. Uh, even though I wrote it. In fact, I think that because I wrote it, I feel like I have more license to change it, uh, and I'm gonna do whatever I want. Um, so, I'm, but I'm really looking forward to it because, um, uh, although I have run a lot of Starfinder and I have developed a lot of Starfinder, I, I work. If you do not know. Uh, Jason Tondro is. I am a developer for Starfinder now. When I wrote this adventure, I was an editor for Paizo. Uh, but now I am on the Star Chamber, which is what we call ourselves, uh, on the Starfinder team. And although I have developed adventures uh, and written them, I have never GM'd Starfinder at this player character level before. Uh, and player characters have a lot of abilities at this level. They're just really, really competent. And... Uh, so I look forward to seeing exactly how competent, because uh, I wanna I wanna tune this adventure a little bit to the players, make it make it challenging. And if this is gonna be the last volume of this AP, well let's let's make it worth it. <laughs> let's 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 make it worth the fight. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 it for for this round. Oh sweet, I am uh, I'm Ron. I'm playing uh, Scooch, uh, the Soki operative. Eleventh um, level is kind of exciting. I've never played a Starfinder character this high a level. This is the highest level Starfinder character I've ever played. Um, and the 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 thrill of the trick attack, which is the operative <laughs> thing, it remains high. But it's now I feel a little bit a little bit shortchanged because I went from trick attack, you know, it was one d eight, and then three d eight, and then five d eight, and now six d eight. Wait, I feel like I got <laughs> a dice stolen from me when I got to this level. Oh well. Um, on top of that, 
uh, the type of operative that I am, the survivalist gets a, well, all operatives get an 11th level power, which I do as well. And the real survivalist into the unknown is all about, well, you get a big, big bonuses whenever you're outside the packed worlds. God, we can't be more inside the packed worlds than we are. We're <laughs> in the middle of the sun. There's no way I'm going to get the full advantage of this ability, Ron, but that's okay. Ron, you are playing the wrong operative. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing okay so far. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride, ride this to the end. <laughs> so uh, this is Stephanie, and uh, same thing. I have not played a uh, – haven't, I haven't played Starfinder at the 11th level, I don't think. In fact, I'm not sure I played before we started doing this. These kids are at. Or have we? Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, but uh, remembering is hard. <laughs> so uh, I'm really enjoying how powerful Koholo is. I'm still having some trouble getting on top of the special abilities and when mm. they operate and when they don't. <laughs> and Kind of keeping it all straight. Um, Koholo herself is uh, really tapping more into into her power, feeling she always felt powerful. In fact, that was one of the reasons she left Castravel is because she knew she was powerful, uh, but didn't really know what to do with it and was very um, maybe a little too comfortable with the idea that might makes right uh, through her explorations in a variety of different um, in the variety of different settings that she's been in throughout this adventure um, she's really come to feel more um, more of a moral sense she takes a lot of her cue from Kashti um, but she also has a, a increasing uh, empathy for the oppressed or for those that really don't have a say and the in the, helping the rebellion in the last um, uh, segment <laughs> most mm -hmm. recently for her um, that, that made her feel good and uh, also she really dislikes the kind of um, the kind of racial biases that she sees a lot, especially coming from the Ifridi opponents that uh, keep cropping up. And um, she really doesn't doesn't care for their sense of superiority or yeah. their lack of fair play. Yeah, they're so. a bunch of supremacists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah, are. it's not yeah. okay for her. Um, it's interesting that you said that you, you're a bit overwhelmed by the special abilities. Um, the Solarian is probably the most complicated class of the core rulebook because of their attunement powers. You have to track attunement uh, every round. Later classes that we created for the game, like Vanguard, have become more complicated or have similar mechanics. Oh, interesting. But, but in the core rulebook classes, which is where you guys all made your characters from because those books weren't out yet, mm. um, you, you kind of picked, you picked hard mode. <laughs> you picked hard mode. So, if it, so don't, don't feel like... You know, like like you're somehow behind the curve or, or, or not good enough because you picked a hard class. So if, if you're having a challenge figuring it out, like that's normal. That's that's okay. Yeah, thanks. But you know, before I go in and talk about Murdochs, I, I want to uh, expand a little bit on the story that that uh, Jason told about when I <laughs> asked him. So the interesting thing is, um, he volunteered to to run this, 
there was another author in that little area at the same time. I won't name them. <laughs> um, who then I asked, oh, would you be willing to do it? And they said no. So not everybody <laughs> is as, as gracious <laughs> as Jason is. So, uh, you know, for for me, you know, I, I jammed the first three books, and then I had to have a character for book four because uh, Ron Lindeen was, was going to jam that for us, which he did an awesome job. And I we planned this ahead of time, so I got art and everything for this character. And I was trying to figure out, what I wanted to make, and I, I was kind of limited because Ron was playing Scooch and Operative, and we kind of needed that skill monkey yeah. operative in here. Yeah, so sure. I, I had to had to make an operative, and I, I, somewhere in my mind, I just got stuck on uh, I wanted to make a, something not a ghost operative because I made one of those yeah. up to level thirteen now in society play, society. and actually in uh, going through Dead Sons, I played a, a ghost operative there as well. Yeah. And so I decided, well, I'm going to make something different. I made a Daredevil operative only because I thought, oh, I can make a devil, and it could be like Daredevil. So I made a tiefling, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, his art, he's all red. He's kind of across, the, the art is kind of across with Deadpool and everything. Yeah. And actually, because he uses guns and stuff, it's, it's kind of more like Deadpool. I tried to build in uh, a little bit more of this go around at higher level, so he's a little bit more like, um, like Daredevil. So I have some things... Um, there's operative abilities that allow you to have enhanced senses, yeah. which gives you kind of like blind sense, blind sense sound, yeah. right, for yeah. me. And then there's a feat called focus sense, which actually gives you blind sight yes. in an ability that you have blind sense in for a relatively short time period. Yeah. So that's kind of how I thought, well, I'm going to make, you know, Murdox is going to have some ability to see, even though he can normally see, but have these enhanced senses. I also have a... I don't have a billy club like Daredevil has, but I have sure. this this kind of truncheon thing that um, I can use. But I use guns and stuff like that as well. well so now I, now I want to go watch the Netflix <laughs> show again because that was so good. Yes. like any excuse to watch the Netflix. Well, show. and that's actually what uh, I think season what season three yeah was was out when we were doing this. Oh, and nice. So, so mm. that's what got me thinking. Oh, I gotta do one of these. So good. You know, and so my particular character is not actually optimized to do operative kind of things like you know do a lot of damage or things like that i'm trying to make it more uh fit along the lines of what i would make if i were making a daredevil type of he, he's a concept so, character yeah more of a concept yeah, yeah, rather yeah, yeah, than sure optimized to do something that said even a, a poorly optimized operative is still pretty good that's right <laughs> yes you know, yeah so. well, we, everybody in the star chamber knows <laughs> that the operative is the toughest class in in the game. Don't yes. know that. Really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I have guessed that. So the interesting thing is you get to higher levels and so uh, I think Scott and I are the only ones that played high higher levels. Oh, I, GM'd. Or GM'd, you know. So I I have a whole bunch of high level characters. Mm -hmm. uh, 12, 13, uh no nobody at 14 yet. One of the things that you find then is that the operative has got lots of good skills. Yes. But in terms of damage dealing, it takes a back seat. Oh. Huge back seat. To the soldier and the Salarian. With the big weapons. Yes. With, yeah. In terms of, uh, you know, the soldier's onslaught, you know, yeah. getting three attacks with a big weapon out there. I, I have a, a character who's got a, a 13th level soldier and, uh, you know, three three shots doing 50, 60 points damage each shot, each round. That takes things down in, in two rounds. So In theory, at minus six, they yeah. don't hit very often. But you have so many bonuses and so many yeah. things that... Yeah. Uh, you usually hit Bull Bab class. 
you usually hit two <laughs> out of three times. Um, and and again, just in, in terms of damage production, yeah, the operative isn't so overwhelming at the higher levels that it is in yeah. the, in the mid levels. That's one of the things that that I've noticed. And so as we go through here, that I'm not expecting that I'll be a big damage dealer. I'm actually thinking our Solarian and and soldier will, and it's more support. So I pick some uh, debilitating tricks. Oh, nice to help to do that. Yeah. You know, it's to help. Mm-hmm. So I have a hampering shot, which can prevent somebody from taking a guarded step away from one of yeah, our folks. Great. And the neat thing about that is, it's it's not limited to once a day or once every ten minutes yeah. when you take a rest. It's every single round that I hit. I can prevent somebody from taking a guarded step or slow them down. Yeah, I seem to remember that yeah. being super helpful. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, that yeah, kind of a neat thing to add on there. So looking at, at, at doing some, some different things with that, more for, for the team. Crowd control and debuff yeah. stuff. Yeah, mm. that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Especially because you don't have a biohacker who's also really good at that. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought about, since we already had a um, an operative, I thought, man, I should roll something else. Yeah. But, you know, we'd already introduced Murdochs before. For sure. And, uh, you know, I didn't really want to change up the, the stream that much. Art already had art. I had art, but, I, <laughs> you know, that art would fit a Technomance? No, not no, really. I, think, <laughs> I think it'll be really neat to see what he does at this level. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. Especially after all that time by himself on that station. Yes. Well, that's how he got Ta- the enhanced senses, you know. Talking to himself and, uh, oh, well, there you go. So, uh, Scott playing Raz. Um, Raz is is very much well. He's still the intimidating factor. That's what he likes to do. Starts out most combats that way. Um, just uh, as a debuff, as much as anything, and um, then really is very much leaning into the how can I help the team be better. So anywhere from get them. You know, kind of a standard envoy thing. Um, the, of course, inspiring boosts. Um, even to the point of my last feat was extra resolve, so I could keep doing it and oh, nice. give you extras if you need it. Yeah. Um, and Ooh. I have something else that drives off of that too. He has, uh, in order to sort of maybe try and keep himself in the fight, he has steeled his resolve quite a bit more, becoming more expertise about it. So I have my will save as a. Uh, I can I can spend an RP to either re-roll or add my expertise dice to it, hmm. to a will save before I know the answer. So, nice. <laughs> um, when I ask you, did I make my will save? I think your answer is always yes. No, it's no. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, some of the other things, of course, he you've seen this a lot. The the reaction for sudden shift, where he can reposition people. Um, just a lot of his, his things are to try and help the team keep going or do things better um, when he's not, you know, punching a lava elemental to death. <laughs> uh, and then sort of uh, leaning a little more, going a little more into diplomacy than what he, he used to be. So he is learning. One of the things he learned, too, was that dragons, not all dragons are uh, exciting to meet. <laughs> Some of them are not as exciting yeah. to meet. Mm-hmm. He still wants to meet exciting dragons, but so far I think the only one he's met is a cook <laughs> or chef, I guess. Hard, hard you know, life lessons. Yeah, I remember this. The, the gold dragon in volume five, right? Uh, oh, really? No. It's, a, it's so, a plasma like a, dragon. Oh, plasma just, dragon. That's right. Yeah. Some sort yeah. of weird space dragon. That was like chapter two, I think. Space dragon. 
the yeah the, the, the one old, we met the, was the dragon in the that was in another form that was in the restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was in the first book. Yeah, yeah, that was book. real early on. Yeah. Um, and but he's still excited to meet them. When you say that you open up combats with intimidate and a debuff, what is that? What does it do? Uh, it varies. So sometimes I'll drop the the a group depending on where they are, but that's a full action. Okay. Um, so I can do that if I don't use my expertise dice. The other thing is just an intimidate. Um, just the demoralize. One, one demoralize, yeah, yeah, yeah pretty yeah. basic, but I've got bonuses to that. Yeah, sure. I've got a voice modulator, so he basically his yeah. voice gets really shouty. <laughs> um, right. And uh, yeah, he's leaned heavily into that since early on. Oh yeah. And then as and soon then as a bunch of things that extend the duration. And then as soon as things. people start taking damage, you can just start throwing out stamina heals. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. get him. You know, he'll, he'll do that. He'll get him. He has quick demoralize, so he can do that as a move action. It's been interesting that. You know, we started off with seven classes in the core rulebook, and then mm-hmm. we added three more in the character operations manual. Play tested. Well, now the third one was announced yesterday. I think. Yeah. And yet, even though we've seen 13 classes now, the Envoy is still the only one with a stamina. That is the niche protection. Mm. Wow. Biohacker has some ability to do that, and there's also a uh, there's another. Um, archetype uh, that yes. you can add so you can if you right. overheal the medic yeah overheal health oh. or hit points yeah. it'll go into stamina but yeah in terms of straight just pure stamina. straight you don't yeah. really have a good yeah. opportunity we've, we've talked about that a lot I think when you say the biohackers got some abilities we're thinking about how we might add a little bit there but so far it's still in many ways the best reason to play an envoy is, yeah. to, be the, is mm. to be the stamina and I've also picked gotcha. up I don't know if the group's seen it yet I think there was one opportunity I didn't use it in, but I have picked up the the group one. Um, stamina heal. Oh, inspiring oration. Oh, yeah, inspiring yeah. oration, nice. which yeah. basically lets me everybody in a I think a sixty foot radius. Yeah, you guys are badasses. Um, nice. I can do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to open up a can of a free whoop ass on you. No, no, no. We're not <laughs> telling them this. We're telling. <laughs> yeah. We're just telling. This is just our audience. <laughs> I'm uh, playing whiskey, who's a Yusilki mystic. Whiskey started life out on Akaton, and as she puts it, she was born seeing red. She wanted out of that place the minute she landed in the puff of red dust. So she was looking for a way to get into space and taught herself engineering and medicine and claims she could fix anything on a starship, including the people. That got her a gig with a startup that was mining neutron stars or something. Well, it turned out to be a unicorn in the sense that their business model was completely mythical. Nonetheless, she, she learned a lot, like how to enjoy the good things in life. Thanks, investors. And she also learned how that she was fascinated with stars, the things that built everything bigger than hydrogen in the world. And so she became a star shaman and a follower of Desna because she saw a lot of randomness out there and hooked up with a group that like her has been fascinated with stars and has been pursuing knowledge of the stars deeper and deeper into the sun in the process she may have started out sort of happy-go-lucky but she started to take a kind of a victor frankenstein vibe of willing to pursue knowledge at almost any cost so if you look at what happened when the Deep Cultures Institute was burglarized, or when soldiers of brass 
tried to keep people out of the sun. She was completely ruthless. She's also completely ruthless at protecting her band members, who she thinks of as her kids almost. And so she's the healer of the crew, but she's also ready to jump in there and bust people up if they mess with her crew. That's whiskey. All right, uh, so I'm Mark, I'm playing Julakashti. Um, and from a role-playing standpoint, yeah. one of the things I wanted to explore with this character yeah. was the experience of being a foreign man in uh, a culture that's different than his own and having values and ethics that don't match up yeah, with sure. the people around. Which is one of the reasons why I find it so very interesting that Koholo seems to think Julakashti is a person to look to for moral guidance. <laughs> yeah. Because his moral compass doesn't point north. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he has ethics and, and values that are important to him that he tries really hard to live by. And yeah. if you ask him, he will tell you he's a good person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his alignment is not good right. in, in the alignment chart. Yeah. <laughs> this is interesting because, you know, when we, we often spoke about the Vesk as being Starfinder's Klingons, mm -hmm. right? And, and in many ways, what you're talking about is the sort of Worf story arc, so, so right? Or, yeah. In the sense that he is the one of his people mm -hmm. amongst a bunch of other people. And what's normal for Worf, the Klingon, is not normal for everyone else. Yeah. And what everyone else considers normal, Worf finds very weird. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Why don't you do it the way we all do it? Right. Um, but, but, but just to, to the audience here, to all of our listeners, before mm -hmm. we started to record, I asked everybody kind of about their characters. And, yeah. and, and, and Jula Kashti was the one that had a story arc. Mm -hmm. Right? Like everybody else is, you know, shit that they're doing. And I, and I but... but <laughs> But Jula Kashti is the guy it, where if this, was a, if this was a major motion picture, he would be where all the money went for the voice talent, right? <laughs> like, like we would be getting like, you know, some, some high dollar ticket to do that. Um, um, and, and so tell us a story, though, about, about him. Okay, so, so Jula Kashti's long-term goal is that he, he has fallen in love with a woman back home, and she reciprocates those emotions, but she is of a much higher social status. Yeah than he is, and that prevents them from be getting married. And so his whole reason for being out here is to... It, it, when, when I conceived the character, there was almost no material written about Vesk culture. There the, was the, a, near, the Near Space book hadn't come out yet, which is where all that right, discussed. Yeah. Right, um, in, in fact, Scott will <laughs> tell you, um, I was over at his house one day, and I'm going, so where's all the information on Vesk <laughs> culture? And he goes, well, it's, it's got to be in the pack worlds, right? That's where all the other uh, race, uh, races are. And no, it's not in the pack worlds because <laughs> the Vesk are not from there. Yeah. And, oh, well, it's got to be in the alien archive. That's where the Skittermanders are. No, it's not there either. <laughs> in the end, there wasn't any. That's right. And, and um, which ended up being kind of to the best, I think. But at the time, I was like a little pissed off and going... Yeah. Well, if sure. you guys kind of even bother to write up any information about one of the core uh, rule book races, I'll just make up my own stuff. Good for you. Um, which I did, <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm very happy with it now. Um, so he envisions the, I envision, I should say, the, the Vescarium as being a very uh, meritocracy in that if you can come home with a string of victories to your name, yeah. doors open for you. Yeah, yeah. So that's what Julakashi's out here doing. That's, uh, uh, that's social climbing. Vesk uh, mm -hmm. style. Vesk style. Yeah, you bet. I like it. I like it. Um, which is why he's often taking trophies or recording 
his exploits and, and sending them home and things like that. What, what it reminded me of mm -hmm. um, uh, when we were talking about it before is this notion in Star Wars of there's a particular species called the Trandoshans, and okay. they're famous for being bounty hunters. You actually mm -hmm. see one in Empire Strikes Back. Okay. It's like a yellow-skinned lizard guy that's standing next to Boba Fett. Oh, I remember him. And, um, and he, they also show up in the Mandalorian television series. Okay. But uh, the, their culture is based on this idea of a sort of god that they call the scorekeeper. Mm -hmm. And the scorekeeper is literally just there keeping track of all of your kills. Yeah. And the more kills you have by the time you die is like, you know, you, that's where you're placed. In, oh, okay. In, in the, and now, of course, what's different is that Julakashti is not relying on a god for their scorekeeper. Mm -hmm. He's taking notes, right? Like he's, yeah. he's collecting uh, uh, trophies and recording things. Yeah. And sending all of this information back, right? You know, to to Vesc, uh, to Vescarium, which mm -hmm. I think is great. Yeah. Um, mechanic wise, um, things are are kind of getting pretty exciting for uh, my soldier <laughs> here. Uh, he's a bombard fighting class, um, and I've really been starting to to groove on the debilitating attack that I got a couple of uh, levels ago. Um, just picked up the uh, Soldier's Onslaught that John was talking yeah, about. Yeah. So really looking forward to seeing what that can do. Excellent. Um, yeah, three attacks in a round. Um, also picked up a, uh, well, instead of a gear boost, I went with a feet boost out of the operations manual and took the spinning cleave. Mm, that's um, my favorite. I love to, that. <laughs> to finally make that cleave feet that I've had all this time a lot more useful. <laughs> So, because uh, I've really only got a chance to use it a few times, to me, two, maybe three times uh, throughout the campaign. Um, so I'm I'm excited to to do some of that. You know what goes good with spinning cleave? A reach weapon. A reach weapon. Huh? You might have to go outside the fist. You know, maybe so. Wait, isn't maybe the so. the is not reach? No, no the Dashko is not a reach weapon. <gasps> What? Imagine with those arms, it still doesn't count as a reach weapon. Right, yeah, I know. Could you arm Raz with the Dashko and then spin him around <laughs> for reach? Clearly, that yeah. would probably work. You know, we have <laughs> these weapons. I don't think are reach weapons either. The Near Space book introduced the Dashkoro, which is like a Dashko version of brass knuckles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we clearly need the larger version. We need the halberd version of the Dashko, <laughs> right? Like a Dashko pole arm <laughs> mm -hmm, that has right? reach. Like, clearly, that's what this game is lacking. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so um, I'm going to tell a little story about how this adventure got written um, uh, and, and, and commissioned. Uh, so I had been an editor uh, at, at Paizo for a very short time, only about a month or so, I think. Um, I had one assignment, a freelance gig. I had written the Asana Town Gazetteer um, for Volume 1 of this adventure path, but I hadn't turned it in yet. I just got the assignment. <laughs> I hadn't even turned it in. And... At Paizo, we, uh, we would have a Monday stand-up meeting where all the creative types, there's about 35 of us, 30, 35 of us, would all go into the Paizo office uh, first thing Monday morning. Well, not first thing because some people don't show up until 11 o'clock. But <laughs> about 11 o'clock, we, we would all go in there. Right, that's, so our, that's our formal office hour begin. It's yeah. not, not showing say, up so still. That, that <laughs> so halfway through my day... <clears throat> It, be that as it may, uh, we would we would go into for the Monday meetings and um, and we would just kind of go around and everybody would talk about what they were doing. And Chris Sims was a Starfinder developer and and we have cubicles in the uh, Paizo offices and Chris literally sat on the other side of the cubicle wall where I sat. So I would hear him and Owen Stevens um, 
talking about uh, talking about Starfinder all day long. Well, Chris is there, and if you and if you ever known Chris, you ever met him? He's like the most laid back guy you've ever met. He's a Buddhist, and and uh, and he gets to him, and he's like, "Well, I'm looking for an author for the Dawn of Flame. I got one volume left to assign, Dawn of Flame. So if any of you." Uh, have time on your schedule. And of course, everybody laughs, right? Because we're all incredibly overworked at Paizo. Like, we have no free time. We're all, like, doing time and a half. And he just, like, if any of you have any free time, you know, like, come see me. Well, I'm, like, the starving editor in the corner, man. I, I, I got nothing but time. I, <laughs> so, so on the way out of the office... Uh, of the meeting, I go to Chris, and I'm, we have literally have not even gotten to our cubicles yet. Like I'm literally walking out the office door, and I say, "Chris, I, I can, I, I'll write your adventure." Sims has known me for like a month and a half, right? I'm like, a, he doesn't know anything about what I do, and I've just volunteered to write an Starfighter adventure path. And adventure paths are the premier assignment at at Paizo. Everything else, even if you write for hardback, you're not writing. A twenty-five thousand word or thirty-five thousand word manuscript. You're writing a piece of a hardback. Like the prestige assignment is an adventure path. And he looks at me with this look, and I'll never forget it. He says, "Can you?" <laughs> <laughs> and he had every right to ask that question because he knew nothing about me or what I did. Right, valid. Well, I I I explained to him that I had written two hundred thousand word RPGs by myself before, so I was pretty sure that I could write his adventure path. Hmm. Um. But I said, well, listen, why don't you give me the outline and I'll, I'll take a look at it overnight and I'll write back and I'll come back to you tomorrow and I'll tell you if I think that I can do it. Well, of course, that was total bullshit. I'd already read the outline. I knew exactly what it was all about. Mm. I, I, I was just telling him that to make him think that he didn't think that I was doing this impulsively. Like I, So anyway, so uh, uh, I went back the next day and I think he must have used that day to look me up on Google or something <laughs> and, and see that I had written Arthur Lives, for example, which is a urban fantasy RPG and that I had done multiple adventures for multiple games, uh, and that I had a PhD in uh, literature, so I could probably write my way out of a paper sack, you know. Uh, and 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 so uh, he gave me the assignment, and uh, and and it was really kind of my breakout gig, really, uh, because since then, uh, I've gone on to write uh, two uh, uh, Pathfinder Second Edition adventures uh, that have been announced working on more projects for Pathfinder side that haven't been announced. And I've written uh, two more Starfinder adventure paths. One for the Threefold Conspiracy and uh, one for the Horizon Vast that hasn't come out yet. Um, and of course, from there, I ended up, I mean, when Chris, when we first heard that Chris was going to leave the company, his family was in Austria, of course. His wife and kids are in Austria. So he, you know, he's, he's missing his two daughters. I don't yeah. complain them, right? need to get back there where his kids are. Well, as soon as I found out he was leaving, I walked into uh, Amanda's cubicle, and I said, um, the, the day Sims walks out, you're getting my resume on your desk. Well, so that happened about three months after that, you know, and I could mm -hmm. write my, my cover letter that says, I warned you this day would come. <laughs> <laughs> but I was lucky because they were hiring two developers, not mm. one, because Owen Stevens was also so that meant we needed two people. And I say that's good because John Compton was also applying for the developer job. And oh. I would never beat John Compton in a resume, not with a six-foot Doshko. 
right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I was just lucky that they were hiring two people. I never would have gotten the gig. Uh, but yeah, so that so in many ways, I think of this adventure path as kind of my breakout assignment. You know, this is what showed people at Paizo that I could write, show them that I had interest in Starfinder. And I chose to come to Starfinder instead of Pathfinder mm-hmm. because um, I, I, I love the setting and I also like the newness of the game. There's a lot less... Um, there's an expression sometimes in gaming we talk about how you've nailed down all the chamber pots, which I mean that you've, <laughs> you've described the setting in so much detail that there's just not a lot of wiggle room to invent new stuff anymore. Like mm-hmm. We know where every land of the, inland, of the inner sea is. We know where all the cities and towns of the... Uh, are and we know you know all we know all that stuff mm-hmm. but in starfinder a lot of these places are still uninvented you know and we have a lot more creative freedom to create things and so i i volunteered to to come over um to starfinder to do that anyway so that's kind of the long story behind this particular adventure um uh sims developed it he made some really interesting changes to my original idea um i don't I know how much our listeners know what developers do but uh Different people describe it different ways, but in many senses, the developer's job was just kind of make the adventure just a little bit better. You get the manuscript, and 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 I think Luis Loza first described it to me this way: uh, that that you know, if they give you a seven, you try and make it an eight. If they give you a ten, you try and make it an eleven. You know, you just kind of try and take it one more one more notch up. Of course, there's also a lot of things like checking mechanics and stat blocks and making sure that that the characters talk the way you know. Um, uh, Terrace and Nib, making sure that they talk in Volume Six the way that they talked in Volume One. Mm. Uh, individual freelancers can't can't do that. When people ask me what I do, I say my job is to make sure Darth Vader talks the same way in Movie Nine as he does in Movie One. But but that's so that's kind of what he did. But he also made some interesting uh, changes and simplifications to the adventure. One of the things that I learned pretty quickly about being a developer is is that the number one mistake most freelancers make when they is they make something too complicated. And if you can just somehow streamline it, make it a little bit easier and a little bit faster, a little easy, easier to implement at the table, taking less time, less thought, energy on the part of the GM, that they'll be able to run it better and faster at the table. And often that's more valuable than that last little bit of complexity that in your perfect perfectly machined diamond precision mechanism, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to, we're going to, I understand that it takes normally about 14 sessions to work through one of these adventure path uh, volumes. I don't know if that's how long it will take that long or longer. Uh, we'll see. But, uh, but it's going to be a really interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we are too. We're glad to have you here. Pretty excited. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Fun. The pinnacle of your, uh, Starfinder experience, I think, is right here now. Uh, absolutely. It is. <laughs> all, that, all that before background has led you to this. 100% true. That's right. Uh, it's a star on the top of the tree. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I just tell you how I nearly fell out of my chair with that state? Nailing down chamber pots is absolutely chamber not pot. what you want to do with a chamber pot. <laughs> really cool. The chamber pot needs to be able to move in order yes. to be empty, correct? Yes. yes. Precisely. Yeah, a nailed exactly. down chamber pot is a really useless chamber pot. Well, Starfinder, all your chamber pots are free it's to just roam a, about. So they're all nailed down. <laughs> it's or, just an expression. Well, no, no, no. We obviously have diametrically opposed att- attitudes about the chamber <laughs> pots right. here. Well, we'll uh, we'll dive right into the adventure uh, in our next uh, episode. We'll pick up right where you guys left off at the end of Volume Five. Uh, what's the name of that planet with the uh, 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 Cannonall? 
Yeah, with the Anasinois were? Yep. I always get yes. that. Yeah, we had a hard time saying oh, that. Oh, man, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of simplification, <laughs> right? We should right. have. That's right. a bad one. It, it, it's, it's, it's bad because it's easy to mess it up and yeah. say something really bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> also. Uh, but yes, uh, uh, I didn't like it because it sounded like the word assassin, which they are not at all. Yes. They are not assassins at Wait, all. Oh, no, that was our job. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> that was your job. No, it, so we'll, we'll it pick... reminded me of the French word for pineapple. I don't know. Now, see, now you got me. Like I, 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 I'll have to trust you on that one. But we'll pick up there uh, with the, the the beginning of the adventure. We'll we'll do some um, initial kind of role play and and info dump kind of exposition stuff, so that you guys can figure out the hook of the story. Okay. Uh, you already know it's called Assault on the Crucible. You already have heard about the Crucible, which is the the headquarters for the um, the invasion. Mm-hmm. So we'll jump right to that, um, and uh, uh, and and then um, I have to confess, like I like I I'm already thinking about how I want to change the encounters. So I'm not <laughs> so so uh, I can't say anything yet because I have a little bit of time to plan. But I I think I I'm I'm I have never run an adventure as written. Never. <laughs> and that includes my own. Yeah. I don't see why my own should be any yeah. different, you know? Uh, so I'm going to, if, if, if every audience listens to a podcast for a different reason, but if you are listening to this one so that you can learn how to run this particular adventure, I can't promise that's what I'm going to deliver <laughs> because I, I'm probably going to change it uh, a little bit and maybe a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Intrepid Heroes on the No Direction Network. New episodes are posted every Friday. You can find them on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher.